Chapter 4 of Harry D. or Making It Out. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Harry D. or Making It Out by Francis J. Finn. Chapter 4 In which I hear bad news, have brain fever, and after three very gloomy years, enter upon a new life. When I came to my senses, I found myself in my little bed at home. My father was bending over me anxiously. "'Oh, Papa!' I cried. "'Do they think I did it?' "'No, indeed, my dear boy. No one but that wretched Cadget even suspected you. The whole thing seems to be now quite clear. The police have examined into the case. You must know there was a robbery, too. A large sum of money was taken, and that circumstance has helped to clear the matter.' It's almost beyond the shadow of a doubt that your nurse, I always distrusted her for her dark, mysterious ways, committed the murder, partly out of hatred for your uncle, partly with the desire to make away with some money which she claimed he had swindled from her husband. Your uncle's cook gave a very clear account of Mrs. Rayner's conversation with my dead brother after he had read the will. Your nurse, after dabbling your nightshirt with blood, so as to lead us to believe you had killed him in your sleep, fled the house. But she'll soon be found. The police all over the country are on the watch for her. Papa, how much money was stolen? Well, it seems that the miserable old man had a habit of sleeping with a large sum of money by his side, under his pillow rather. Cadget, who knew his ways, testifies to his certain knowledge the sum in my brother's keeping on that night was fifty thousand dollars. Fifty thousand dollars! the very sum Mrs. Rayner had claimed. Nevertheless, Mrs. Rayner was not found. For what light could be brought to bear upon her whereabouts, the earth might have swallowed her. Nor was Mrs. Rayner the only one to disappear. The cook, housemaid, and coachman could with difficulty be persuaded to remain till the funeral rites had been performed. The two nights they spent in the house after my uncle's death had been nights of terror, each had a tale of strange groanings and mocking laughs and weird sighs. As for Cadget, he continued to frown and snarl, but said little. Even after the others had taken their departure, Cadget prolonged his stay in the lone house for several days. He had received permission from my father to put the interior in order, and to make out an inventory of the furniture, books, and general state of the house. How Cadget went about this work, nobody knows but the gossips of the country made much of his bravery in remaining alone in a haunted house. Haunted House. That was now the title of Tower Hill Mansion. Days passed into months, but from the hour Cadget locked every door and brought the keys to my father, no sign of happy human life, no sweet prattle and silvery laughter of childish voices, no light steps of little feet, nor bright faces peering from the open windows, softened the gloom of that dismal house. The doors were locked, the blinds closed, and around its gloomy gables the wind sighed and moaned its mysterious requiem for the well-nigh forgotten dead. People shuddered as they passed it by day, and prayed as they passed it by night. Strange tales concerning it flew from mouth to mouth, and in course of time my uncle's name ceased to be uttered, and his dwelling came to be called the Haunted House. Many of these details were made known to me long afterward. 
for at the time I was in no condition to learn them. After the short conversation with my father, set down in the beginning of this chapter, I suffered a dangerous relapse. Brain fever set in, and for some weeks I struggled blindly in the arms of death. I came off the conqueror, not without loss. My sleepwalking habit, it is true, disappeared with the brain fever, but in its stead I found myself robbed of my strength and enveloped in a nervous gloom which, it would seem, doctors' skills could not dispel. The three years that ensued were the unhappiest of my life. The memory of Mrs. Rayner, so kind to me, yet so cruel, haunted me. The face of my uncle, now as it quivered in kindness, now as it blanched into the horror of hideous death, came and went in sleepless hours of the night. Life, so gay and hopeful and joyous to most boys, offered me little to look forward to. My father, as the years went on, grew more and more distressed at my condition. He counted on time to cure me, but he was disappointed. Finally, after much thought and consultation, he concluded that the active, stirring boy life of boarding school might prove the best remedy. Accordingly, he sent me, at the age of thirteen, to a college which, as he had been led to believe, combined in happy proportions study, piety, and healthful outdoor exercise. On the 13th of October, I took the train for St. Mars. End of chapter 4 Read by Mark Berube, Edmonton, Alberta, July 2021